Hey, it's BT with Tells from a Gemini. My guest today is Fran Wild. She's part of the Last on the Breaks podcast for MotoGP. And we get deep into a MotoGP deep dive about the season coming up, the best riders, just the golden age. It's really MotoGP specific. We're also just motor racing passions and everything. And I think you're going to love it. If you like MotoGP, if you like motorcycles, you're going to love this podcast. So, Fran Wild, enjoy. Hey, it's BT with Tales from a Gemini. I know it's weird how we came on, but, man, that's just how me and this woman get along. I am talking to one of my favorite. I thought she didn't like me at first for the longest, but then, but then now we're like this. She is the co-host of Last on the Breaks podcast with my buddy Matt Dunn. She carries the show. I'm sure her back is hurting from carrying that show. And she's also co-host of Moto E. She's a uh, pit lane reporter for Moto E, Asia Talent Cup, British Talent Cup, Northern Talent Cup, FIM Junior Talent Cup. She is one of the hardest working people in the business. My friend and your friend too, Miss Fran Wild. Wow, that's when you really feel the America, I've got to say. That's now my Britishness here in my house by myself. I'm like, yes, good day. Um, <laughs> love it. Thank you very much. I think that's a little bit too much, a little bit too effusive maybe. And I would like to say that it's Matt Dunn definitely was carrying that show. Uh, and henceforth, I'm sure it will be the... Uh, <laughs> Stop it. I've got to be nice. Matt I, Dunn's going to I know, I know what you do, Fran. You write all the questions. Matt just said it to look good, but it's all you. You're the behind the scenes. We all, all Matt did was help you adopt those cats that I heard, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> but I yes, know, you, I know you did the, the donkey work and he got all the credit, but I'm going to give you the credit right now for all the MotoGP fans. When you watch Last in the Breaks and you get those incredible, incredible podcasts with, with Lynn Jarvis, with Pip Vira, with everybody, it was this woman right here who did all the donkey work. It was 50-50, yeah? I'm not, I'm not doing it. Because I'm sure Matt will listen to this, and then he'll be like, man, what are you doing? Thank you so much. Because we also flat shared for quite a while. I'm like, close friends with Matt. It's not the kind of person you want to sell out. No, he's absolutely was an integral part of that show, especially when it started, when it was basically just me and him doing everything. Like, I'd edit the audio into, like, the rough idea of what we wanted. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah. But it's it's been fun. And now I think... Um, yeah, we'll we'll see who's hosting permanently this year, but I think I will still be part of the podcast, so that's cool. Let me tell you something, man. And all jokes aside, yeah, I love Matt. He's man, he's great, and I love both of you guys together. And I and this is what frustrates me about MotoGP is that I wish it was more consistent because I that was my favorite podcast to listen to. Whenever I would ride down to uh, to go to acting class and I'd put my earphones in on my motorcycle, I listened to that podcast and. All of them were so great because you got to that rider, the part we didn't know. And that's what I love. You know, not just the rider, but the whole paddock. There's people you thought you knew, but you didn't. And I know everybody talks about the Lynn Jarvis and the Pit Vira. But for me personally, I loved how you did Alex Marquez because you guys asked him questions that I would have loved to ask. Like, you know, talk to just about him, not his brother, just about him. And it was all about him the way it should be. And, and you gave him the respect that I don't think anybody else ever gives him. And I loved how you treated him. And that, and that's, that, that was my favorite personally. Well, thank you. I mean, I was a fan of Alex when he was in the lower categories as well. So I'm like personally like, yeah, like he's done impressive stuff, you know, mm-hmm. like surname aside, it's like, well, you don't win two world championships from being labeled something at birth and then not doing anything about yourself. Um, but then, yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, 
a few things. First of all, I understand that for fans, sometimes it's like, oh, where has this person gone? Or like a change can be hard to get used to if you're listening to a certain show or product. But also bear in mind, it's not always top-down decisions with these things. Mm -hmm. Like Matt's life has changed now quite a lot. He's moved back to the UK. Like he's got things that he's focusing on, things like this. I'm still here in Barcelona because I'm a full-time employee. I didn't go freelance. Uh, so my main job is writing more than doing these things. And unfortunately, then it means that we can't really both be on that project together anymore. And there's a few different things like that where people's direction changes or they like take on something new or change themselves. And I know then it seems like, oh, no, they've stopped this person doing this. But I promise a lot of the time it's just like, you know, everyone wants to take different steps. They have different. We all have different goals in our careers and stuff like my goals. I remember a couple of people being like, oh, why, like, why don't you do, like, put yourself forward for the lead commentary? And it's like, first of all, so far behind on experience and quality compared to a lot of people, like when Steve Day decided he was going to leave. But secondly, like, as flattering as that is, that's not my goal. It's not the majority of my job. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yes, it would be great to have a female voice on the world feed, etc., but there are people who are way better than me and people whose goal that is as well. So it's like, you know, we, yeah. we have this thing behind the scenes. It's not as easy as it seems like this playing card deck of British people. And then you just pick whoever you want. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, honestly, and I'm not even selling out the people here in the United States, but when it comes to motorsport, it's just there's something about you Brits. You just you the way you commentate motorsports is just Excellent. I mean, it's like I'm glad a Brit is doing it. And I love like I think Ralph Shaheen is the greatest voice for Supercross ever. But when it comes to, to I was going to say Supercross is going to be your main competition to that statement, I think. No, <laughs> it, it, only Ralph Shaheen to me is the only one because I mean, he hasn't worked for them for tw two years and they still use his voice for all the promos and everything. And he's been gone for two years. But I think when it comes to everything else, nobody. Why is it that you guys just capture that essence? I mean, it's like the, 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 the adjectives you describe birdie when birdie. And, and Steve Day did it. Oh my gosh, it was so great. And even when you interviewed writers, and just you, just a while ago when you said effusive, I'm like, I never use that word ever. I, I, I got to Google that when I get off the air. I mean, I don't, <laughs> how do you guys, why are you guys so good at what you do? I don't know. That's a funny question, actually, because I think, like, I love words. I'm a word person. Like, my degree was in languages, it wasn't in anything sort of specific. Um, but I don't know because I have a view of Americans that you guys are better than us with a lot of things. Like what? Like, like what? The, the normal average, like GED holding American <laughs> will have so much better grammar <laughs> no, than British don't. people. No, they don't. No, they but, don't. You're being way you, too nice. I, have you been to you a Walmart? What you're saying. <laughs> you've, you've seen the truth on the inside of, on your side of the pond, but then I know the truth about us as well. <laughs> and honestly, some of the stuff is just like, wow. So that's no. the impression I have. So maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. You put your GED against our GED, and I think your GED <laughs> do a lot better than our GED. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just proud that I've learned what a GED is now. <laughs> I've learned the, the equivalent. <laughs> 
<laughs> I think that's hilarious, but I'll put your GED against our, because I've seen our GEDs, and I'm like, woof. I mean, that's why I'm glad you guys do what you do. The, some, some of the words that Birdie and Day, when they were together, and how they just, they flowed so effortlessly, and I just love Birdie. And I, I think I pissed off Simon, and I didn't mean to, because Simon is, does a great job of, because, you know, he was a writer, so I think he feels like he needs to protect writers. And so sometimes Birdie would throw out something that's tongue-in-cheek, trying to be funny, and I think Simon kind of takes it to the point where I think he takes it a little bit personally, and he feels like he has to defend the right. And I told him that, and Simon looked at me like, what? And I was like, oh, God, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to piss the big fella off. But I kind of told him, that, Let's just let, let Birdie have the joke. Laugh along with him and then come along with it. Because he'll go serious. He'll go, no, Matt. And he'll come back. And I go, no, just let him have the joke. Kind of laugh with it and then come back. Because it's got to flow. And Bert, all you guys are just so funny with it. It's so tongue-in-cheek. And I think that's why I think the viewers love what you guys do. Well, thank you for that love. And, yeah, the dynamic's definitely great. I think now it's like it's really they, they're getting to know each other again. Obviously, with a big change in the team, it's difficult. Like with me and Matt, I know a lot of people listen to our commentary. They're like, oh, my God, you like you fit together so well. It's like, yeah, because we've been flatmates for like three years. Yeah. So the only thing that you have to do is basically remember not to swear like you would at home. <laughs> But we already spent like a lot of time every day speaking to each other and talking about racing as well. Yeah. Um. So, you know, like with that, it's it's a lot easier than when you have two people who live in two different countries, don't see each other much outside work to like immediately get up and running with that kind of dynamic. And it was as well going from Dylan to Simon in pit lane. Like it always takes a little time for everyone to find their space in the team, I think, a little bit. But uh, but yeah, Bertie Bertie is classic. We we all miss Steve. Love Steve a lot. Uh, understand Steve wanting to go and uh, be his family life a little bit more. I love that. Uh, but yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, Bertie Bertie kind of just spits headlines sometimes. It's incredible. Like when we were watching, I think one of my earliest and not earliest memories, like in my life, but of like listening to Bertie whilst I was also employed for MotoGP, was the Dovey win at Sepang in 2016. Yes. And I was like, what the hell am I going to call this? Because it was the ninth different winner of the season. We're verging on a record. I was like, what is my headline? What is my headline? And then as he crossed the finish line, Bertie was like, and Davizioso is on cloud nine. And I was like, boom, thank you. Done. Oh, my God. That's, <laughs> be- that's perfect. Yeah, I mean, did, did, now, did he rehearse that beforehand? Did he rehearse that before or he just I came up with it? I he had it in his head. I mean, we all have like, we obviously everyone, like when you know the sport and you're involved in it, you have like the rough stats in your head, et cetera. But especially when you're like the lead commentator, like they all have the stuff kind of written down of like the milestones, you know, are possible within the race. Yeah. So I guess he was obviously very aware that it would have been a ninth different winner if XXX riders crossed the line first. But then it was just, yeah, it was perfect, wasn't it? Dovey on cloud. I mean, that's just beautiful. You can't, you can't beat that. It's like an alley oop, like boom, slam dunk, game over. <laughs> I know it was beautiful. So yeah, a lot, a lot of my early headlines were were stolen from Bertie's excellent <laughs> uh, commentary. <laughs> now I know you're living the dream by living working motorsports. And one thing I want to tell, I want to give you credit for because you, in a way, to me went. I can't say backwards, but I love how F1 was your favorite, 
but now you're working in MotoGP and you're with the bikes, and which is almost the exact opposite where some people start off in MotoGP and then they go to F1 and then they act like they don't know you anymore. And I love how you start <laughs> off in F1. I know your favorite was, I think, Damon Hill, and now you're in MotoGP. Yeah, that was my first memory. Okay, now I'm like, if Damon Hill were ever to listen to this, he'd be mightily offended by how quickly I was like, no, he wasn't my favorite. <laughs> uh, but no, like I, I remember the first motorsport memory I have is Damon Hill winning the Japanese Grand Prix, I think it was, in the mm-hmm. championship. Mm-hmm. So pretty early. But yeah, bikes were a few years later. And then when I really like saw MotoGP properly, I was like, oh, this is actually me. Certainly at the time, I was like, this is better, I think. I was also a deeply scarred Fernando Alonso fan, suffering years and years of emotional abuse. So uh, then it was like, it's like a fresh thing. Obviously, like we all, we all love motorsport. I think everyone who loves one motorsport can find something to love in others. Maybe it's not exactly your favorite thing, but you'll find like, you know, the similar DNA there. Um, and then MotoGP, it was like, oh, well, it's fresh and I don't have this five year long drama with the uh, Scuderia Ferrari breaking my heart. <laughs> and you can just pick your favorite all over again. Uh, but then I got very seriously into it very quickly. Um, and yeah, I, I still love Formula One. I try and watch most of them that I can live uh, when they don't clash and stuff. Um, I think it's incredible what's happening with the sport now. I really love like, it's incredible that we've seen a new legend just appear on the scene so quickly because, like, Max is a proper old-timer. Yes. Um, and I, I love it still, but MotoGP now has a much bigger part of my soul, I think. Now, now I was going to ask you this. The way motorsports is now, and I don't know if it's because just the society we're living in where you can do simulations at home and you can, you know, and now you get the layout of the track and there's actually video games you can do that are so similar to the actual track. Do you think we're in the golden age of of just motorsport period because i mean you're looking at you're looking at i mean everybody has their adversaries in in racing where you know uh you know Aaron Senna had a uh, 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 props and and uh and so every you know everybody had their but i think personally i think MotoGP is the best it's ever been as far as talent wise and i'm looking at F1 and it may be the same way too. I know. I think Lewis has at least. I'm gonna say at least maybe one more year at the top before he starts to fade. And I think Max is gonna go into an era where it might be the Max show forever. But I think if I think Lando Norris can get it going, I think he's just as well. So what do you think? Is this the golden age? You think? I think definitely in some ways. Certainly in terms of competitiveness. Like I think a lot of people. It's, it's easy to forget the reality of past racing, I think, until you sit down and watch a whole race. Yes. Because you can see like a highlights clip, like, I can't remember. I think it's like the most niche one for some reason that I watched a couple of years ago all the way through was like the 1986 Spanish Grand Prix F1. And it's like 35 seconds between cars. And it's like, yeah, you've seen that one move that was really fucking cool. Yeah. And then you've put that in a highlights reel and you now think that every single race of the 1980s was like Suzuka 89, 1991 at every corner. And it's like, no, (laughs) but now it's a lot closer to that. But even now, like if you, some races, you watch the whole thing in Formula One and you're like, okay, like actually not that much objectively happened. I mean, it's still great because it still builds the excitement and the overall season narrative is great. But I certainly think in MotoGP, 
it's really hard to think of a race of the last few years right now where it was any sort of damp squib or it wasn't spectacular five six seven times a lap (laughs) on most laps yeah Um, and it's just so competitive because it's also so much closer and it's just incredible to see i think that gets forgotten a little bit when people look back at golden eras yes because it's like i love um like a lot of history of motorsport i have a lot of my sort of quote-unquote heroes uh like senna um but it's like when you actually watch those things, it's like, yeah, they were the absolute best. And yeah, they stand up at the test of time. But the people who were 11th were like 75 miles behind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and in MotoGP as well, like there's incredible stuff from the past of Grand Prix racing on two wheels, some incredible races, incredible feats, great riders who've done truly great things. But it's also quite a different beast. Like now it's so much safer. They can approach the limit a lot more safely as well, which also means the racing is often a lot closer without feeling too over the edge. Um, And just the gaps are insane. I actually, I was literally just on Reddit like um, an hour ago. um, And someone was like, I think it's a 0.4% differential in performance between I, the lead bike and the last bike. I saw the same thing. I was on Reddit. Crazy. I saw the same thing. Yes. You know, I, I, I honestly think, and I think the last, I think coming, I think during to the 2015 was when I really noticed when Rossi was going for the championship. Marquez was out, but he was still, and that race in Phillip Island really brought it home. That race was one of the most incredible races ever. Then the next year, they did the same thing. And then last year, when Marquez almost got Renz, was pretty much the same thing. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. There's some races okay here and there, but for the most part, I just think and what MotoGP does right now more, better than any. If you're going to compare it to F1, since they're you know they're the, at the, the the most elite level, I just think GP has a better actual racing. And I think the and I think the riders and uh, drivers in F1 realize that also. But but it makes me so mad is that F1 gets that seniority. They get that seniority pass, but if you break it down, they can't compete. To me, they can't compete against MotoGP. As far as like the actual close racing, I mean, my hands are a little bit tied here, aren't they? If I want my next paycheck, but obviously the reason why I am here as well is that I wholeheartedly do believe that certainly at the moment. Uh, and like I said, I like Formula One, but I think MotoGP at the moment it's very exciting. There's definitely things that can still be tweaked. There's always something in any big competition, sport, anything at all where you can always look, okay, so next you should do this, next you should do this, like always try and make it better, more spectacular, safer, all of the things that you need to consider when it is motorcycle racing. But it's incredible. And I think as well, it's really great how, I don't know what word to use, maybe weathered, how it's kind of weathered the retirement of Valentino, who's obviously like the soul of the sport for so long in so many ways, but it's still incredibly popular. There's still so much of it is growing. And we have a whole cast of new heroes now. And we don't know any of them that well. Like maybe the older ones like Aleish, but we're still seeing new parts of Aleish now he's at the front of the grid. And, and, and I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you, I didn't want to cut you off, but I don't ask you that before I forget. Is that, do you think the sport is kind of better that Valentino has gone? Because, I mean, he was such, like some people, they were, you know, they said they were MotoGP fans, but they were more 
Rossi fans. And so now that he's gone, and I've noticed that, the I mean, the racing was getting better anyway, but everybody, you know, it clung on to Rossi, which is where they should. I mean, he deserves all the accolades in the world for what he has done for that sport. Yes, he deserves a, a road paved in gold for what he's done. But do you think now that he's gone that it's actually kind of better in a way, it's, that it's helped the sport? I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. I mean, I understand what you mean because I think with anything where there's like quite a lot of I, I mean, I don't know, because then the counterexample now of F1, like uh, tribal kind of attitudes in some ways can be a little bit difficult for the whole kind of fan base, for lack of a better word, to deal with. Yeah. But then in F1 at the moment, it's created some real toxicity on the Internet at times, but it's also driven some incredible growth. So I think there's positives and negatives to everything. But, you know, I think... Sometimes it's a little bit frustrating seeing that the stories that get picked up are always like trying to be the Daily Mail, a publication that I believe is so bad you will know which one I mean. Yes. The British tabloid. There's <laughs> yeah. um, a little bit sometimes with that. It's like, no, guys, there's also some really funny and fun stuff and you can have like the fun side of rivalry as well. The Daily Mail is the GED of publications. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, maybe not even that, but, um, but yeah, no, obviously it's a little bit of a, of a difficult one being British and having my politics quite separate from my job, but definitely not a fan of that particular publication. It's always my go-to example for that kind of press. Uh, so no offense if you work there, anybody listening. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, I, I, it's an interesting balance, I think, but I think in general as well, like. A lot of people take it very, very seriously. And I think sometimes they need to calm down a little bit. This is like seeing what's happened with F1 with the explosion in the fan base. Because it's like, I yeah, I live and breathe for it as well. Um, but to like then just be starting a random fight with someone four countries away on the internet, it's like, it doesn't really matter which one they like and that it's different to someone you like. It's like, it, it, it always makes me laugh. Like, I think I said this on the podcast I did with the girls a couple of weeks ago. It's like, if you think Senna's the best, you have to respect Prost. Yes. If you think Lewis is the best, you have to respect Max. If you think Rossi's the best, you have to respect Lorenzo, Stoner, etc. All of these, like, otherwise there's nothing that validates the performances and achievements of your favourite. So it's like you, you have to kind of recognize that. And then if you want to have your pantomime villain time, I mean, that's fine. Everyone can always have a bit more of a sense of humor about that as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, it's just an exciting time for MotoGP now to see who's going to really grow into those future legends. Obviously, Mark will be a legend. Uh, we'll see what happens with him coming back. Um, he is already a legend, but you know what I mean. I mean, in like 40 years, obviously, he will be a shining light in the annals of history. Um, already but yeah, is. It's, yeah. It's, it's really exciting to see like what can Fabio achieve and then Pecco, obviously, with that comeback and, and the beast. now the rise of Ducati and, and the, the beast. beast. And yeah, it's, there's so many interesting things we're going to find out and see this year that it's very exciting. What, uh, what it, it, to me, and this is to me, correct me if I'm wrong, though, what sucks is now, though, I just think with the growth of social media, and like you said, though, you know, they got rabid fan bases here and there, and, you know, you saw what happened with Max and Lewis, and what happened, you know, the, the final in Abu Dhabi, is that MotoGP, the guys are great, the only, I guess, you know, that personality 
uh, when Mark leaves will be Fabio. Fabio is about as close as you come to as I want maybe maybe Basecki, maybe, maybe, maybe Basecki. But at the same time, though, I mean, I think the racing's better, but there's that they don't have really have that personality to bring uh, your your average uh, person to into the sport where where Rossi did. So, but the racing's g- great, but they don't have that pilot that's like going to bring you in. Like, who's this guy? So, do you, I mean, do you agree or disagree? Um, I think overall I disagree because there is so much character there, and we need to show it off better. Uh, but I think as well, it's it's like it's not saying this at you, but like it's easy to sit on the outside and be like, well, why didn't you just say that to the camera? And it's like, oh yeah, like we all do, like we all hit a hundred percent in every single interaction we have, and <laughs> yes. never worry what anyone's going to think of us. Yeah. And especially with some of the stuff that just gets picked up and immediately reported in like quite a bad faith way, it really disincentivizes that as well. Because it's like a small paddock in a lot of ways, like a real kind of, I mean, obviously it's a massive global sport with hundreds of millions of fans and like an incredible amount of people who love MotoGP. But like the actual environment when you're there at the race weekend and in the paddock, like it is, it is still very interpersonal. And that's what makes it so great in a lot of ways that I think has got so lost in a few other kind of bigger sports like some things i look at and i'm just like i just feel like some random tadpole in that situation yeah, yeah. whereas mono gp like the paddock like you've been in it you know it's like it's a really great place you have a lot of people who all know each other get along like there's like friendly rivalry there's genuine bitter great rivalry on the track there's like there's a bit of everything um, but definitely, I think as well, like they are all quite new, like Fabio of the newer riders, Fabio was the only one who's been consistently sitting in a press conference every week. And that's only for three years. Yeah. The rest of them, like, you know, not everyone's going to walk into the room and do the Pedro Acosta iconic of like, when I entered my ass was like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it's, you know, everyone's got a different character. There's, there's so much that's great about so many different characters. Uh, but I think the sport can only grow from here as we build them and get to see more of them, for sure. Now, as far as just characters go, as far as character like, that you would love to have on the dais uh, to introduce the world like okay th- this is the sport these are the guys just character alone who would you love to see the top three who would you love to see like say this these are the guys you got to watch just for character i mean i don't know i mean from the outside like for a beginner i mean fabio is obviously like fabio is like a dream because fabio is like every single thing that is like marketable and great put it in one package but also make it 100% genuine and multilingual. And you're like, boom. It's like, it's crazy that he has all of this stuff and the talent. Yes. And it's just always, always a pleasure to come across. Like always, cannot underline that enough. Um, So I think he's obviously a great character. Mark Marquez is an incredible legend of the sport. And I think, yeah, like he's... He's he's my kind of favorite Jaws music moment a lot of the time. Like uh, every sport needs one, but he's so, so incredible in some of the things that he's achieved. And then watching him come back from everything that's just happened, obviously, that's another incredible, incredible character. I'm using the word incredible a lot. I'm like Ethan Guevara. 
for anyone who doesn't know that meme, it's his only adjective in the English language. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I, I really like Peko um, and also the people around Peko. Um, and I wish that people would love Peko uh, more as well because he's a true gentleman. He is. I like Peko. He's really smooth. I just love... The personality of Bezeki. Bezeki, when he's there, he's got that little bit of quirk that's fun. Like, if, if you know, and I hate to say. I mean, I can give you something fun. Like, there's people that I know a little bit better and people that I barely know at all. But there's something about every rider. This is what I said. There's character overflowing on the grid. Um, and just, like, hopefully more of it gets to shine now as well with it being so competitive and so much more space. But, yeah, Bezeki is for sure like him and Jorge Martin and Moto3 like he was so destroyed and it was me who had to go and interview him when he lost that championship and oh. I was like oh I know but um but yeah he he's a really great rider and great character but I mean I can't really say anything bad about anyone to be honest like Brad Binder's a legend Jack Miller's a legend oh Miller's so, great. Much, be a, so much character Miller's got to be the greatest as far as getting a sound bite if he's in a good mood now if he's prickly it's like oh man I I, I wouldn't advise anybody to, if, if, if he's prickly but as far as like Miller to me has got to be one of the best in because he speaks his mind pretty much Tongue in cheek, he'll make you laugh, and I just think speaking speaking English helps also. I mean, that's, and that's just a fact. And I think that's another thing that people don't realize. Yeah, it's like it's really difficult, and this is one thing I think I tweeted about it a few weeks ago that really frustrated me. When you get like outfits that just translate things in bad faith, and they might not even be doing it on purpose. To be fair, it might just not be cleaned up, but it's like speaking obviously Spanish. And having fairly okay understanding of Italian and stuff, a lot of the quotes, it's like, clearly, this is not what they wanted to say, because this sounds like negative and quite attacking. And it clearly comes from this grammatical structure that is not translated properly into English. And no one's like, kind of translated it kindly. Um, But obviously, it's also like, I don't know, I mean... Some of the time it's too easy to expect everything to be in English. But obviously with a lot of things like press conferences, etc. sometimes it's really funny. Like Valentino played off so well that as part of his character. Yeah. Um, and Bastianini now is like he's he's taken a real step forward in English since he's got to MotoGP. Yes. Um, and it's it's great to see how he will just kind of go for it and then kind of look and be like, yes, I've got that right. <laughs> and then some people are so much more nervous, like Luca Marini is really trying to say things like really correctly and get it perfectly right. Uh, and it's like all of these things as well are just great to see as they kind of learn and, and get used to also giving much bigger, longer interviews in English about different things. But that that's what makes, honestly, I love watching when the, when the Moto3 guy is up there with, you know, with the MotoGP guys. And they're just kind of, you know, getting learning English. And you'll ask that question like, uh-oh. And you'll see like that look of fear in their eye. Like you can almost see the look of fear like, please don't ask me a question. And like like a dummy, I'll ask him a question. And then they'll, they'll have to look over. And a MotoGP guy will kind of coax them into the answer, like here, this is what he meant, and it's you know, and like oh, okay. And I think the be- <laughs> the best and I did this, and I'm gonna toot my own horn, but I was at the uh, it was in Jerez when uh, I think uh, Lorenzo had finally gotten a podium, and uh, with Ducati, and I go, I go, when was your aha moment with Ducati? And he went, 
what is aha and and Marquez just start laughing <laughs> and the whole press room just looked at me like really and I go hey, I'm, I'm, you know <laughs> and I thought that was my favorite yeah, moment in the, in the whole world but honestly <laughs> what I think honestly what made me so mad was when they came out with the you know uh, MotoGP's version of uh, Drive to Survive on Amazon and I and you know they. I, I had no problem with them putting the subtitles up. Let those guys speak in their native tongue. And you know what? Don't be so lazy because you speak English that you don't want to read subtitles. Read the subtitles. Don't be lazy. Let those guys speak how they normally speak. I hated that people bitched about it. That was one thing that pissed me off. I, I struggle with that, obviously. I mean, I've, I've got a bit of a... It's not a natural advantage because I've not been brought up multilingual, but I have an advantage in terms of arriving to the paddock as a Brit, because like I said, my degree was in languages, Mm -hmm. Spanish and German. I did French at school. That was like my passion before motorsport. So I recognize that my perspective is always a little bit more like watching Inglorious Bastards all the way through. (laughs) I can watch that without any subtitles and it gives me such joy. And I'm like, yes. Um, But I recognize that is a very language geek background and opinion to have. Yes. And I know sometimes it's difficult. And obviously some people, they do find it a lot harder to read, especially quickly enough to follow subtitles. But yeah, just the normal kind of people who are perfectly able to do that, but simply don't want to sometimes it is like bro the world is not solely english speaking so sometimes we gotta uh we gotta take that l and just accept <laughs> that if we don't understand them it's nice of them to give us the text so we can read it <laughs> <laughs> okay F- favorite language uh besides english your favorite language my favorite language that's a difficult question it's actually the one that i'm not as good at now which is german I really love German. Why, why is that? Why is that? It's such a harsh language. It was the first one that I did uh, when I was in school and like in, in British school, in secondary school. So when you're like 11 or 12 is the first year of secondary. Um, and they, in my school, they put you randomly into a group and you could request to do German, Spanish or French. But otherwise you get it like your class, your like form group of like 30 students will get assigned a language. Uh-huh. And I'd wanted to do French, but then my I would have to leave the form to do so. And my two best friends from when I was like three years older in that class was like, okay, it's fine. I'll do German. Like, I'll give up on that because I don't really want to just like separate myself off right now. Um, and then I just loved it. Um, and I thought it was because I love German. And then I realized, no, I really love languages. Um, but then I've been really, really lazy with keeping it up. And it's like a lot more kind of challenging now that it was yeah but it just makes such sense it's a really satisfying system of how everything's built together mm-hmm. um and i do love spanish obviously but i think spanish now like not that i love it less but now that i have to use it so much for work it's become less like a oh speaking spanish how fun <laughs> so <laughs> how about so, french yeah, how about french how about french do you like speaking french French, I need to speak more French because I've, I thought that I'd like lost a lot of it because I only did it to A-level, so only to when I was 18. Um, and then like I'm really, really nervous of speaking French and German, which I know already from having taught English as well. The number one thing to say to students is it doesn't matter if you make mistakes, just speak, 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 speak. That's how you will improve. I follow my own advice in Spanish and I refuse to follow my own advice in French and German. So I'm just like, mute. And then because I'm so nervous, everything comes out wrong. And then just before last year in Valencia, when we were at the mini GP final, yeah. 
um, in like the place next to the mini GP track, we had like a kind of like little building there where we were set up. And I ended up, me and the journalist from MotoGP.com as well, Elliot York, we ended up sat in a room with everyone from the FIM uh-huh. and they were all speaking French. And I, I just kind of didn't occur to me to be terrified because I'd not previously interacted with them in French. So then I just said something and then they're like, oh, and then we just carried on. And I was like, oh. When I've not set myself up to freeze in fear and immediately get all of the grammar wrong, it's actually still a little bit of functioning Francais in there somewhere. But uh, but no, it's definitely something I need to improve a lot. Mainly just because it's I do love it, and I find I find it hard to fill my time away from work with things that really capture my brain. So yeah. languages for sure is something I need to like focus on. If they would just slow, well. if they would just slow down and speak in like high school, like you know, uh, level one, I could, I could do it. But they talk so fast. And when I went to, when I went to France, when I went to Paris, and my, and the driver picked me up, and I said like something in in French, and he thought I spoke French, and he says, Brr, I go, oh boy, you know, and I mean, yeah. I was just say, like, hey man, just slow always, down. <laughs> just slow it's down. so difficult. Yeah, but honestly, French as well, French and Spanish, but French especially because there are so many like silent letters at the end of words and. Stuff. Stuff, yes that it all gets so condensed it's really really difficult when you're not an, at an advanced level to figure out which word is which and how it all splits up um which is not difficult at all in german which is possibly why i love it as well <laughs> um <laughs> it's much more like boom 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 um but yeah it's definitely definitely difficult but uh but yeah goals for the year ahead french and italian <laughs> speaking a bit more so okay speaking of italian i'm gonna ask a, a, a crucial question i mean very important question which is the better food american barbecue or italian oh that's difficult by which i mean it's just difficult to break it to you that it's clearly italian no <laughs> you're not hurting my feelings i mean that's, so a, that's a tough one american barbecue is good but man when i'm ever in europe period when i'm in just europe i always go Italian. When I was in Paris, I had Italian food. It's always Italian. Always. Honestly, like a proper Italian pizza made properly in Italy. And like the simplest, like the margarita, if you will, but where the tomato actually tastes like tomato and the base is perfectly cooked. Yes. And it's not completely ruined and soaked in 75 liters of cheese on top of it. <laughs> and maybe a little bit of basil. It's like the simpler foods do not get better than that. It is probably the world's best food. It is the greatest Sorry, food UK. ever. Sorry, America. No, well, no offense to the UK, but it's not like they're known for like, great food. I mean, I've had shepherd's pie and it's it's horrific horrific i feel like you've had a really bad shepherd's pie i well i had american shepherd's pie maybe that's why i had american shepherd's pie so maybe. i mean who who served you this american shepherd's pie uh, I'll, I'll get the name and number and then you can do you can put a number on them How about that? <laughs> okay because I, I mean to be fair i don't know why i've really gone to bat for shepherd's pie there because it's something i will never make myself now i don't have to eat it at home. <laughs> uh, but i wouldn't call it horrific so <laughs> just random i want to know why you were late to the Malaysian race in 2019 what happened uh was it 2019 yes it was what happened so uh me and Matt Dunn the aforementioned Matt Dunn yes and actually we weren't late to the race to be fair we just arrived at the track later than anticipated (laughs) we were in time for the races um so me and Matt Dunn for some reason on Saturday night I think we'd stayed late at the track I can't remember why. Maybe it was an Asia Talent Cup race. Mm-hmm. 
Ah, yes, I remember what it was. Um, so, yeah, we were late at the track. So our boss said, you know, tomorrow don't sort of get up at the crack of dawn and run to the track straight away. Like, take it a bit easier. Not like come in at 11 a.m., but, you know, <laughs> just sort of leave the hotel like 8.30 instead of 7.30 kind of vibe. Like, just take your foot off the gas and, and stay chill. It's okay. Yeah. So we're like, great, okay. When we did that, get downstairs to take the car, flat tire, great okay what are we gonna do now because as well obviously because we're leaving that half hour 45 minutes later than our colleagues we're also then can't just get in someone else's car because yeah. we're the last men standing at the summer summer so we're like great okay then one of the guys from the hotel were like no, no no it's fine we'll change the wheel so they changed the wheel to the spare which was like actually a full spare which is lucky and so we're like great okay and then we set off but because then with the extra delay they changed the road layout of how you get to the track. <laughs> and instead of it being five kilometers, it was now a 12 kilometer journey. Uh, and all five lanes of every road were absolutely chocker. So in the end, me and Matt were like, okay, we're now going to have to like drive a bit cheeky or we're just going to sit here for like seven hours. What would you like to do? So we're like, we'll drive a bit cheeky. So you sort of edged our way past just like, yeah, sorry, 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 up the hard shoulder and just eventually made our way to the Malaysian Grand Prix. So that's why you were late. So, yeah, we weren't we weren't late for work, but we were certainly late for normal time. You'd arrive on Sunday and feeling a lot less stressed about life. And especially because remember, Malaysia's like 95 percent humidity and 35 degrees. We were just like the panic sent it up to feeling about 50. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, we're just going to die here by the side of the road in Malaysia, surrounded by 10 lanes of traffic. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we made it. We made it in the end. Now, I know, you know, like you said, in the paddock, you guys, it is. If you don't know, if you've been there and you travel together, it is like a family. And so, you you know, you know the riders kind of, like, you know, ins and outs. But is there anybody that still makes you kind of like, when you interview them or talk to them, it can get a little, like, a, just a little bit of, uh, like, I'm talking to them. Oh, lots of people still because people as well are like so good at what they do. So it's like, you know, it, it's like you, you still get that kind of like, huh? Um, but I mean, not really so much starstruck because I think, I don't know, a friend of mine before was a bit like, oh, it's sad that you're not starstruck anymore. And it's like, no, it's not sad because I think it's nice to see people as humans and it's like the, like my respect for them and my enjoyment of watching them do what they do is not less. It's possibly even more. Um, so I think, you know, like everyone's human. So there's not like a oh, kind of moment anymore with many people. Um, but certainly, I don't know. I think it's just, yeah, just people when you think like, oh, my God, like when you watch them do something really, really, really awesome. Uh, and then you just like, oh. like who, like who, um, who, who comes I don't to mind? Really know. I mean, the one that I thought the podcast that we did that you mentioned briefly earlier that really made me and Matt feel like we were sort of like proper pumped up was the Pit Byro one. Yes, he's just one of those people. After talking to him, you just like, right, okay, cool. I'm gonna go and conquer Rome. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, but like everyone, I think, like all of the top riders, like they're all incredible at what they do. So, you know, like it's, it's funnier that some of the ones where you kind of get more face-to-face -face time, like Fabio, like is now less like, uh, 
because he's really normal in a good way. Yes. Um, like this is not me being like, we're best friends and we hang out all the time. Cause I, you know, people are a little bit weird with that. Yeah. Um, but you know, like then it's a bit less maybe, but it's still like, holy shit. What did you just accomplish? Um, but I think Mark obviously has that aura as well of having been there so long. Yes. Um, so like, I think the moment last year, I think it was last year, was it? It must be last year when I felt my heartbeat and felt my heart physically hitting my ribs during doing my job. The one moment was that press conference at Magello. Yes. Um, uh, because we didn't even know exactly what they're going to say. Oh, he, when he and, and, he and uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name? And Alberto. Yeah, he and Alberto. He's going to go and do new surgery. And because the TV broadcast was still on at the same time, obviously, with I think it was Moto 2 qualifying. Yes. So it was like, okay, Fran, you go and do that. So like, okay, cool, no problem. Um, basically, like, Moto E will have to have no pit lane right now, sorry. Because uh, it's had to, like, shuffle everything around quickly. Um, but that was truly, because it was like, that was the first time I've really ever been at work. Especially because, like I say, most of the stuff I do that is written. So it's not that same kind of feeling. Yeah. But that's the first time I've really been there. And I've been like, wow, in like 25 years, this is still going to be a notable moment. And I could really, really, really fuck this up. <laughs> if I say something stupid or say the wrong thing or something else. But like, luckily it went okay. And obviously the story itself as well seems to have gone very okay. And hopefully we have a very fighting fit eight-time world champion about to uh, come and unleash a bit more this year. You know, honestly, I feel the same way with you. Like, you know, like I see those guys. I'm always in the Alpine Stars hospitality, and I see those guys all the time. And a great paddock home. Isn't it? It's the great. So I see all these guys come in and out, and I feel like, you know, like I know Maverick a little bit, but I swear to God, I was sitting somewhere where he had to go. He goes, excuse me, BT, and he said my name and kind of like just touched and me. And you were the, like, oh. He touched me on the shoulder, and I was like, oh, he touched <laughs> Maverick's me. Maverick's so great, though. Isn't Maverick's he? so great with seeking out to say people's names as well, like even in press conferences, and he'll be like, thanks, Frank, and yes. say the question. Like, that's that, that same weekend. He, that's, spot now at Ziggo, yeah. That same week, he did the same to me. He goes, ah, oh, BT, and he said it, and I was like, oh, he said my name. He and Frankie, yeah, he and Frankie said my name, and I swear to God, you would have thought I was 13 years old in 1967, and the Beatles came to town because I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I'm oh, a grown man. Awesome. I'm a grown ass man who could literally be their dad, and I swear, I shrink to a 13 year old girl in the 60s, and the Beatles are in town. When I, <laughs> I love that so much. The next race you come to, I'm going to try and set up a situation where every single person is going to be like, hello, BT. <laughs> no, no, don't you do that. You will literally see me go, oh. I'm <laughs> like, watch him after you say it. He'll melt. I literally do that. I literally, when he said BT at the press conference, I asked him a question. I lied to you and I was like, oh, I, I had to record it. It's on my phone still. I'm like, oh, I'm a grown man. I, I, I love it. I literally performed in theaters of 3,000 people, this and that. And that's the one moment I'm like, he said my name. That's, that's good, though. That's the best kind of like little bit of extra glitter on the day, though, isn't yeah. it? It's not like, you know. 
It is. I mean, I, I, I love it. And I, well, I want to ask you this. Now, if you were in charge, if you were in Carmen, Espo, uh, his, his position, and I heard you say you put the little tweaks here and there, what would you do? If you ran the series and being where you are now and seeing maybe what he doesn't see, because sometimes if you're this high up, you don't see what's down here, where you kind of see the, like, mm, maybe they shouldn't do this or whatever. So if you ran the series, what would you do? I honestly don't know. Um, if you could tweak I it. I was... Like, I was surprised by the, I mean, I was surprised by the introduction of sprint races, but now I'm so excited about them. I cannot even, like, I literally can't deal with how excited I am. Like, testing is, like, just like, yes, cool, awesome, but, like, can we have a sprint race, please? I'm so excited. Um, I mean, that's an exciting addition that we have for this year for sure but i don't think there's anything specific to be honest especially because i'm not very good with like the technical side yeah so in terms of in terms of like that kind of stuff and ensuring the competition remains close um and all of that stuff i'm not very qualified to to really know exactly what would do what um obviously as well those kind of things often need agreement with all the factories of the msma so that's a little bit different it's not like because i see this a lot as well everyone thinks that dawner's like every single decision is from dawner uh, and things like penalties it's like that's the fim stewards um a lot of the technical rules are also in agreement with all the factories like it is it's not i don't know the impression is is not quite accurate sometimes mm-hmm. um but I can't think of anything really now because I'm just excited about sprints. I think the other thing that is really, really important that the sport did was move towards more sustainable fuel, yes. um, which is really exciting as well. Um, so it'll be next year, minimum 40% non-fossil origin. Um, and like I said, minimum. So we'll see who brings what. Um, but that's really cool because I think those are two things where it's important for all motorsport to try and you know take part in better practices to increase sustainability in general but also when it is somewhere like formula one but like motor gp especially there's so much scope for developing these technologies mm-hmm. within the sport because it get te- gets tested to a level that it will never get tested by like you know a random volvo yeah. <laughs> um, in a lot of ways yeah. so if you can if you can really use that um and create a fuel that's yeah obviously much more sustainable and we also will have each of the fuel suppliers doing their own Mm -hmm. and so there's no like one single proprietor who then has this new technology and then can leverage that there'll be a lot of development that comes from it that will hopefully have a genuine effect like that's really important for the sport Mm -hmm. within the framework of people who know nothing about motorsport and immediately see an engine and think that is bad full stop it's important that the sport has so much to show for itself that it's positive in so many ways like there's so many good things about motorsport and it can also contribute there in terms of sustainability and development mm-hmm. um, but it's also important within the paddock to be able to maximize that because there is so much opportunity um, and I know I'm starting to sound a little bit like a press release now but it's genuinely <laughs> so good yeah because it's real as well like it's, it's all right like a lot of companies are like oh we do this we do this and it's like great okay yeah do you have any proof of that whatsoever? Yes. Um, but especially like the best example at the moment of like technology that's already in development is with Michelin uh, and the Moto E tires that they obviously they're the official tire supplier of MotoGP, but also Moto E. Yeah. Um, and there's so much sustainable material now in the tires 
Um, and it's like a genuine, you know, big step forward that could be super, super usable in the world. And I think their company goal is like 2050 to make all of their, like every single product that they make fully sustainable, mm -hmm. which is a lot of tires. Um, and it's great to see Moto E, obviously with like zero emissions, it's a good place to do it, but also with slightly shorter race distances it's the perfect place to try out these things and see what they bring to the table and um, how it can be further developed. So I think they're up to like nearly 50% sustainable material in some of the tires now that's used in Moto E. So it's really, really cool. Um, so yeah, I think those things are important. Um, but yeah, I don't know really. There's not so much because like... Do you think the schedule's I mean, too this, long? This... You think the new schedule's too long? I don't. You don't? But then I'm also... I'm also my age, don't want children, and I'm in a long distance relationship that we're both very genuinely happy with and content with. So I have like zero other pressures to that, why I wouldn't want to go around the world as much as possible. Yeah, you know what? That, um, that is so honestly, I'm, I almost feel the same way in in this fact that the only reason I go to Europe or whatever or anywhere is to see MotoGP, and it's like somebody had told me go bt you gotta you gotta watch you gotta go to those cities and see other stuff and i was like i don't really care who built it i just can't but i go okay yeah so now i'm starting to enjoy just going to your period but i used to just go fly on a thursday go to the track maybe drive around the city like oh this is nice and then go to and then you know go to the track from there not but, <laughs> but now i'm getting there like wednesday and then having a couple of days to you know see other stuff but i'm with you but then again like i said we don't race like that so i mean that's that's why i ask you that do you think that like the, the maybe because I know F1's going through the same thing. I think, was it Max? Somebody said, this is going to break up marriages, you know, as long as this, this, this is going on. If you're in the paddock, you have a relationship. Yeah, I mean, I see that to an extent, but I also think, I think in a, in a lot of these situations, the sport cannot downsize to accommodate a marriage. And that sounds cold, but that's not what I mean. What I mean is the sport needs to find its right size for its audience, for its show, for everything that matters to it. And then the people and the companies in there have to find the best way to adapt to make sure everyone is still enjoying it and wants to be there. Obviously, like if you don't want a job anymore, that's also fine. Like You don't have to do it. Uh, with a lot of these things, sometimes it's like there are like some tweets that I see. It's like, there are like 20,000 people following you and your life is their dream. And for the past week, all you've done is complain about the time that's needed to do this. Yes. And it's a little bit like <clears throat> you can see both sides to it because I think it is important to find that balance for the people. Um, but I also don't think that that's on the organization and the calendar to basically organize itself to not the lowest common denominator in a bad way, but there has to be a way for all of this to happen. And, you know, like we have the majority of people now in a lot of our departments, like rotate and don't go to all the races. Right. That's a good idea. Like, I, I don't think like you can't say, Oh, like Jonathan 36 from Woking doesn't want to do more than 16 races. So then we have to make a calendar of 16 races. Yeah. Um, because there's, like, there's, there's also a lot of like, it's also easy to say that if you live in like the south of France and you can drive to four Grand Prix in about six hours. Yes. And if you live in somewhere quite far from a Grand Prix, like, say, New Delhi, 
And now MotoGP has been invited to stage a race near you. That's quite good. And I do think also people need to remember, it's like, yeah, it's really nice that you live an accessible distance to Assen. Billions of people don't. Yeah. So it's also great to take the sport to fans and to enable more people to come and see it as well, especially in places like Lombok. Yes. There's so much passion for MotoGP in Indonesia. And obviously we've got a few different races in Asia where it's a huge market for the sport. But it's also for a lot of people who love it and they watch it. I think, I hope I don't misspeak now, but I think in Indonesia, the races are on free to air. So it's very, very accessible as well. Obviously, economically, Indonesia very strong in a lot of ways, but a lot of the population do not have the resources to be like, oh, I'm just going to go to Buriram. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. I'm sure, yeah, for me, sat in Barcelona, Buriram looks really close on the map to Lombok, yeah. but it's just not. Um, so, you know, with something like that, it's like, okay, so you've got Bali next door, you're trying to establish Lombok. It's great for all the people who are there, who have this massive amount of investment, so many people going there, so much time, attention, money, etc. But it's also like fans within that country. It's not just that, oh, it's accessible and then they can go. It's also like, yes, you who have loved us for so long, you have your race back. And it's really nice to know that, I think, as a fan in a lot of these places. So I think it's sometimes, yeah, some of the stuff, I mean, it's natural. Every single person's initial reaction to anything that happens will always be from your perspective, won't it? Of course. But of I course. think sometimes if you add a little bit of the others, like I said, like I'm, like my perspective is that I'm thrilled that we go to a couple of new places. I'm thrilled that we have a really long calendar. I also really like this year how it's like three on break, three on break. I really like that because I like to be in work mode and then not work mode and then work mode. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah. for me, that's great. I recognize for others that might not be, but everyone, you know, like it's, it's, it's about what's best for the sport, what's best, but also, like I said, like hundreds of millions of fans who watch it. And, you know, if we end up with 50 race weekends and nobody watches 20 of them, then fine. The message will obviously get through that 50 is too much. <laughs> what do you do to decompress? Like, I mean, like, you know, like we love it. And I mean, honestly, and I give you guys credit because just for me to come on a race weekend, I forget how much walking I do. And in Mizano, I literally tapped out. I walked the circuit once and then, you know, had the break, lunch break, and I walked it again. And I couldn't go anymore. And luckily, the MotoGP van came, and it was the German driver. And I go, hey, man, could you just take me back to the paddock? And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and I was so exhausted after that weekend. And so I always want to know, what do you guys do? How do you decompress, like get away from it? Like, you know, we can all love pizza. But if you had it three, four days in a row, you're like, you know what? I'd like to have a hamburger maybe. So what do you do to get away? I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of the people that I spend a lot of time with outside – not outside the sport, but um, like outside of the people I directly work with, mm -hmm. a lot of whom are also great. Um, that's not to say like, yeah, I found friends elsewhere and my colleagues are terrible. But, you know, <laughs> you end up with like a natural group of a few people, some of them who were colleagues before as well. Uh, and I think they're like, there's a lot of stuff. Like one of my best friends in the paddock works for Alpine Stars. Um, we'll spend, ironically, we'll decompress a lot by talking about Formula One sometimes. 
uh, because it's fun to be just that fan and not have to stress about like, but how are we going to present this? Um, (laughs) um, It's like, it's not our problem. We can just be like, oh, great. What drama? Um, But um, but yeah, it's like obviously things that you like passions that you have in common and then just generally like just like chatting, sharing that kind of stuff. During a race weekend, certainly, I think it's like, yeah, it's it's nice to sort of be in that environment, but also like people around you who do have other interests that you also share so you can have like a conversation that's not solely about work yes, um, or not solely about the sport. But I think also everyone loves it so much that it's like, it's nice. Like there's a lot of stuff happens in a day of MotoGP action. And it's like, I've got a word count limit of you know i can't speak about every single lap of practice on friday right but then sometimes it's fun to be like oh my god did you see this like some of the dramatic moments as well when you see some stuff on tv i'm thinking specifically of a moto 3 incident in valencia and then like you can have like the uh off the record debrief of just being like, oh, wow. Yes. Um, <laughs> talk about that. Kind of like the after party. party. When we go to the after party in Valencia and we all sat around with me, you, Lewis, uh, Matt, I think uh, Jack was there. And I know it's Scott. God, I love Scott Ogden. He's so great. And we just all talked about that. And I was. And oh, I- my God. I forgot about this. I've blocked that out. <laughs> I thought that was the yeah, best time. That yeah, was the best time for that, me because yeah. we all just sat around and just talk. And I love Scott Ogden. I think he's going to be great. I love that kid, and I think I scare him, but I love that kid. And I just—I remember Matt Dunn had some sort of running joke with Scott, or possibly vice versa. <laughs> I could, but see I that. can't remember what it was now. It's very vague, and it's not vague from drunkenness, just vague from being like that. Oh, the season's done. And especially because obviously we have the gala on Sunday. So I usually leave the track, then have to like put the press release together for the gala. So I'm like officially reaching that moment of like season done. <laughs> yeah. At like 11 p.m. or something. Yes. So then it's suddenly like, oh. <laughs> so yeah, I have very, very hazy memories of, uh, of the first couple of hours of that but yeah I remember I remember waiting a long time for a shuttle bus that didn't turn up and then getting a taxi and then yeah when we got there uh, I remember Scott being there who was with Scott I don't know who was I think it was, I know it was Missy Scott you Matt Lewis uh Jack uh Appleyard who else was there oh I forget Jack Gorst Jack Gorst was there yeah it was, social media yes 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 esports i didn't know him too well and but mini gp actually yeah yeah but, but we, i just know we had a good time and i i just i and but i sometimes i feel bad about talking shop at you know the the end of the like i would think you guys would be like okay we're done but it was just so cool everybody still had that kind of that still kind of passion about it even though we were letting loose and you know it's it's over it was still cool to talk shop and loosely loosely talk shop it was great you know what i mean exactly it's a lot of fun yeah like this is the problem though because it's like i mean it's a i don't know this is this is the problem the problem is that everyone says that you have to disconnect you have to do this you have to do this it's like to a certain extent, yes. Like, I don't want to also spend three hours in the evening talking to people about words they can and can't use and why. Because <laughs> that is, like, nothing you're, like, super offensive, but just, like, general guidelines. Because yes. that is, like, a necessary thing 
something that I like like doing in general, like trying to make sure that we shape the right narrative, etc. But also like if I just sat there at dinner being like, uh, you can't say that. Oh, you should actually reframe it like this. It's like that would be awful. So yes, you need separation from some of the things that you do at work. Yeah. And the things that you do outside of it. But at the end of the day, most people are there doing that work because they love the sport. So I think it's natural that a lot of conversation then afterwards ends up talking about it as well. That, that's what I honestly, but that's what I love. It's everybody when you work for a passion. And it sounds so cliche, but when it, like, but honestly, if you do what you love, I mean, it's like they don't. You really don't get tired of it, and that's why I love being around it. And that's why I love having this show because I'm a Gemini, and so. I, you know, I get bored of things really quick. And this is one of the few things in my life that I've never gotten bored and say, okay, I'm done. Like, I just, I always loved, once MotoGP came and I saw it on TV, I was like, I was hooked. And it's never, it's only increased every year, which is amazing. Usually I like, I like something, okay, I'm done. But this is one of the few things that it's it's just grown. Exp- like, I feel that like it's me now. You know what I mean? Like, like some of my. I'm yeah, like, I truly understand. Yeah. So it, some, some of my passwords are MotoGPBT. I'm not going to tell you what to what. But still, some of my passwords are MotoGPBT. And now I got to change it now because everybody knows. But it, it, <laughs> they used to be that way. And I still feel that way about. And you and I. And this is going to be so weird. But this is me. I'm a Gemini. I change like that. Uh, I hear that in uh, India, you're like the number one podcaster, was it? I think Matt told me that. <laughs> You've been talking to Matt Dunn. <laughs> yes, uh, we were actually yes. saying the other day it would be hilarious if we all arrived for the Indian Grand Prix and like the only people that were famous in India were like me and Lynn Jarvis because uh, I don't know if Matt Dunn's going there because that episode especially I think it was the one with Lynn was like the number one podcast in India <laughs> the week it came out and it was very funny um, just because it's you know I mean that's great obviously but it's really funny to think of like me and Matt sat in Jerez talking to Lynn Jarvis about like parking outside the Vatican and then like however many people in this completely different country who've like taken an interest and downloaded that and listened to it like it's great um but yeah, that was a that was a funny one. So hopefully, me and Lynn are going to be on all of the billboards. <laughs> I can't wait. Okay, what's the new? What's the one GP right now? If 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 you're, say a new fan came in and they're like, "What's the one GP? Just pick one. Say you have to go to this one, and this one will make you a fan for life. You had to pick one." Oh, okay. I mean, this going back to what I said about like taking the sport to the fans and accessibility, this is probably the worst possible answer if you're not in Australia or New Zealand. I'm, I'm going to put you on a shot clock. I'm going to put you on a shot clock. Get an answer. <laughs> for me, it was Phillip Island. Yes. Um, I think it depends what you're looking for because there's something about so many of them that's incredible. Um, Aston, especially some of the grandstands are like, wow, the like final chicane that you can see. Um, and then harass the atmosphere in like the, the kind of one. stadium section. I said one, Fran. I said one. But, but for me, it's Phillip Island. I also went there as a fan in 2014. And it was like that moment where I was like, I don't know. I don't know. Like a lot of different things from life kind of sunk in there. And I was like, holy shit. I am in Australia. I am at this event that in my head is almost mythical. And I earned the money to get myself here and then decided to come and like flew to the airport, got in my car, drove to Phillip Island 
got to my hotel and now I'm actually at the track watching MotoGP at this incredible venue. Um, and it's also, I think, got a special place in my heart because it's the first event that I worked as well because it's the season opener for Superbike normally. Uh, and I started with Dorna in Superbike. So the first ever event that I worked for Dorna was the, the SBK season opener in 2016. Speaking of which, speaking of which, I think this is going to drop. This is going to drop this week. So, uh, ironically, say that. So now, I think World Superbike is is probably going to be maybe the best it's ever been. We got an all star lineup. We got you know we got the defending champion racing. We got uh, the Raz. We got Johnny Ray, who's still not done. And now we got these new cast of characters with Dominica Girder. And you got I think Lacatelli needs to come out. And you got Rinaldi. And you got and you got Remy Gardner. Who I was going to you... say you've forgotten a big newcomer there. Yeah, Remy. Oh, I, I think Remy's going to come. He, I, he's got that little chip on his shoulder, at least I think he's going to have that. Where he got, And I feel he got screwed over, you know, with GP. So he's going to come with uh, guns blazing. Who do you see taking uh, uh, the World Superbike? Who's going to be the surprise uh, of the World Superbike season this year, you think? Oh, the surprise, I don't know. That is a difficult question. Come on, just one. I Come think, on, Fran. Because I don't think it's going to be a surprise to see another three-way battle every weekend in the best way. Uh, because I think Johnny Alvaro and Top Rack are all... What's great about them is that they're all incredibly high-level as riders. There's genuine kind of fire in that rivalry. And also the machinery is all very different. Uh, so it's like a perfect mixture uh, in a lot of ways. Um, but... I don't know. Yeah, I think Remy will probably do well. Uh, and I'm interested to see what Dummy does in Superbike as well. Obviously, like he's had success on bigger bikes before, like in Suzuka and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, interested. Interested to see how they fit in. But I think everyone's got a job catching Alvaro and Top Rack. You know, I I just think Johnny Ray still has a lot left in the tank. I mean, I I mean a lot left. Not like I think he's got one more year. I think he's got a lot left in the tank to prove. And I like the way he talks. He talks like he's he's chomping at the bit instead of like that. <laughs> instead of those one champions are like you know look forward to this year. But he still talks like you know I don't know if you saw the uh, the documentary about Alvaro and how he and Johnny Ray he disrespected Johnny Ray because Johnny Ray crashed him. It happens. And Johnny Ray said, well, he's not really a true champion. And that I think that really pissed him off and now I just think this is the the spice that's just to watch from the outside it's just like it's it's so beautiful isn't it beautiful to watch okay equal machinery equal machinery which is almost impossible but equal machinery I'm not going to answer yes you will yes you will equal machinery who wins Johnny Ray Marquez equal machinery equal machinery equal machinery 10 lap race who wins Johnny Ray or Mark Marquez? Or Mark Marquez, equal machinery. Mark. I think so. And I think you can run that race 100 times and Mark will win 100 of them. You, you think so? 100, 100 out of 100? That is not because Johnny is not an incredibly gifted rider and a great superbike champion. That's because I think Mark is one of like the true... like Mark is like supernatural. Yeah, did, did, um, did you see the the documentary? I mean, the docu series. 
I've not watched it yet. I've watched it I've last night. I watched it all. I mean, because I have nothing to do. I have no life. I don't even have a girlfriend. I have no life. So I was at the airport all day yesterday, and that's all I did. I sat in the same spot for those four hours and watched that docu series in one setting. I got up to I got up to pee, and I came back, watched it in one setting, because that's how much of a life I don't have. But <laughs> but I think that's great. <laughs> well, no, yeah, to you it is. Everybody else is like get a life, BT. But that's all I did. And let me tell you something. That first five minutes almost made me cry. And he watch it. And yeah, there's moments like I think, you know, a couple of those scenes went too long. But man, for the most part, I, lo- I loved how they did that. And it, it only reinforced what I thought about Marquez. And if it wasn't motorcycling, I still think motorcycling, motorcycles, just period. They will never, ever, ever lose that little bit of a rebel. Like motorcycles in general, they have that little bit of a rebel kind of when people think of them and motorcyclists, they're that little out thing of society. You know, they always look at motorcyclists as outlaws. I don't care what people say, whatever. They always look at motorcyclists as outlaws. And I just think Mark Marquez, if he wasn't a motorcycle racer, he would be considered in the top three of greatest athletes of all time his mental his mental is so strong and all those guys are but I've watched that guy and to me the turning point to me was I think he was in I maybe it's Moto GP but in Moto 2 but the camera was on him before the FP1 started and he picked up the remote and switched the channel because he saw he was on TV and that says I mean it says everything it sounds like nothing but he switched the channel he was so focused on the job on the job at hand and I just think what he does and what he's done, he's the Michael Jordan of that sport. And that's not even saying that lightly. He's the Michael Jordan of that sport. I have no frame of reference for Michael Jordan. I'm really sorry. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's okay. I understand that he is a successful American <laughs> athlete who may either do basketball or baseball. I think it's basketball. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Well, the thing about Michael Jordan was, his mental. I mean, it's one thing to win, but you watch how winners do it. And granted, it was a team sport. And MotoGP is a team sport, but when it, but it's said and done with when you're out there on the track, he's won with inferior machinery. And Honda's like, now they're feeling the, the effects of, you know, not really testing when Mark was hurt and it's hurting him now. But what he has done and how you watch his mental and the games he plays and what he does and his lack of, even he says his lack of give a fuckery. I mean, even he says, he goes, hey, I'm an asshole on the track. And, they, and then they show uh, his uh, crew chief and he, it's Santi, and he goes, yeah, he is. And I thought that was great because Mark said, I'm an asshole on the track. And Santi goes, yeah, yeah, he is. And I just thought I that was I don't know great. if I'm just like a cold person, though, but a lot of the time when people are like, oh, that was not about Mark, but about any kind of sport. And like, oh, that was an asshole thing. I'm like, if it's in the rules... It's fine. Yeah. Are we trying to play nice or are we trying to win? If you um, want friends, you go to Facebook. If you want some friends, go to Facebook. Is, you know what I mean? That's what I say. This is my thing that gets me, especially, like, it's not so much in MotoGP. I think the MotoGP fan base, especially because, like, we saw in the survey results, like, it's so sport first uh, and a lot less, like, riders and stuff. Obviously, we hope, like, the riders' characters grow a bit more as we get to know them more. Um, but especially in Formula One, it's just, like... I don't know. I see that too much with like all of the heart emojis and it's like, I'm sorry. Like, what is this? Like, I I get a bit frustrated with that sometimes because there's so many of the great causes, messages, like characters that are really positive. And then sometimes like with things with Abu Dhabi, it's like, I felt like I was sat there. I was just looking around and I was like, does everyone like literally as Michael Masi says it, like it's a motor race. 
This is not like playtime. Yes. This is brutal and this can happen. I will debate all day, every day, if you wish, about the lapped cars not being allowed to overtake. But the fact that a safety car happened late on, yeah, that's part of the rules that can happen. And if you like, if you think that is simply unfair, like, what have you been watching? Like, with a lot of these things, it's like, guys, like, these people, like, I'm sure they are, like, friends outside of the track to a certain extent, because I truly believe you can be. You can be track and off track. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, yeah, like, it's racing. Like, you want to win. To me, that, the Abu Dhabi final from F1, that was F1's 2015 MotoGP, you know? I, I feel there was their two, that was their 2015 Sepang moment. And, and the hashtag Sepang Clash. And, they talk, and Mark talks about that. I, I want to watch you. Uh, I, I would love to talk to you after you've seen it, but you got to see that. Because he talks about that. He talks about his thing with Rossi. It, it's well done. I loved it. I thought it was great. But, yeah, he talks about that. But I just think that was F1's. 2015 Sepang uh, Clash moment. I really do. And I, I just I just think with these things, a lot of the time it's like, so what you, like what, a lot of people just wanted nothing to happen. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like people just wanted, like we do like 18 things, we do some maths and then it's like, oh, you won it. And at no point is that rivalry taken really to the track and none of this stuff happens. Like, I don't know. It's always, like I don't Sepang, I think in terms of like the peak of like the kind of two sides of the argument, etc., I definitely see the parallels there. Um, but I think I don't know, I I think with Abu Dhabi I I don't know. I mean it, it, it's difficult as well because the Sepang clash is two people who aren't both fighting for the title, so it makes it a little bit different. No, um, Rossi was though. Rossi was though. Rossi was. Rossi yeah, was. R- you're right, Rossi was, but Marquez uh, it's wasn't. It's like the, the final race in Valencia, like with the whole people thinking Mark purposely didn't attack Lorenzo. It's like, look, Lorenzo didn't need to win that race to win the championship. Second would have been fine. Um, but with those kind of things, like it's always an interesting thing to see the parallels. But like Abu Dhabi, it's like, surely, and I'm a fan of Lewis. Don't get me wrong. But you look at that whole season yes, and you're telling me that you're sitting there and saying the deserving champion by every metric is Lewis Hamilton because of the last three laps. Like, no, every single figure says the other guy. Uh, no, I'm with uh, you. Know, I'm with you on that. Lewis made a great run toward the end of the season. And the thing about that, yeah. he, he made the run that you needed. to. I mean, he showed a champion's run toward the end of the season. He really did. Man, it just... To me, the whole thing, I, I, it, all we have a soft spot was when his dad was hugging him and patting him on the back at the end. That just shows you never outgrow your parent. And I just loved how his dad was <laughs> consoling him. And, I mean, that was probably the closest I come to crying in F1. Like, I, I'm not going to lie. I cried when Marquez won in, uh, in, um, in Germany when, uh, when, uh, when Oliveira was on his ass. And I thought, I, I literally was on my big one, please, just let Marquez. And, I, and <laughs> when it was under a second, I go, he's got him. 
And I don't know how Mark did it. And Mark won. I cried like a baby that day as a grown ass man. I laid on my bed and I <laughs> cried because I wanted him to win. I can't believe I just said that, but I did. I cried like a baby, but that's just how motorsport is. And when Lewis's dad patted him on the back, I go, God damn. I mean, I just, I hate yeah, it, but that's, the, that's that passion. Though. And I, lo- I love how you know the passion. And I love how you can debate me in a good way. It's a, it, I think it's, a, it's, you should have that kind of like, no, I feel this. And I love that because I love getting other sides of the argument. And I, I, I could talk to you forever ever on this but unfortunately we can't go forever so i'm gonna ask you really quick questions really quick i don't want a long answer and i want you to hit me all right here we go okay greatest of all time which is you know how that goes but greatest of all time moto gp um i think you have to split it up um i think in i think in motorcycle racing especially mm-hmm. You can't just say one because for, the eras are so different. For fuck's sake, let's just say, for fuck's sake, the greatest. No, because you can, you can say Valentino Rossi by what he built around himself and how he took the sport to a new level in a lot of ways. You can say Marquez, obviously, over the last 10 years of what we've seen. Right. You can say Agostini on numbers. Uh, yes, 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 yes. You can argue Surtees is the goat of goats purely because he's the only one that's done both. Yes. I mean, not really. No yes. one would say he wasn't either. Like, but okay. like, what a hero. Well, but like, that's cool. Who do you you g- can argue Mick Doohan coming back. <laughs> you can God argue you. on pure talent that it's Casey Stoner. That is a there great so argument. That is, a, to me, if Stoner would have stuck around, oh my gosh. I mean, everything is all ifs, ands, and if if if, if ands and buts were titles, they'd all have a Merry Christmas. But man, if Stoner stuck around, he could have changed everything. Um, but if he had to give the nod in a modern era, in the modern era, if he had to give the nod, and say in the last in, tw- twenty-five years in MotoGP, the last twenty in the last years. twenty-five years, I don't think you can separate the the candidates. Mm, man. I think we forget. I, I think we forget how dominating Rossi was. I think we forget how dominating Rossi was. And if you look at his uh, the number of podiums he had, I don't know if that's going to be beaten. Because I don't think Marquez wants to stick around as long as Rossi stuck around. I think Marquez, if if he feels like he's going to be beaten or he can't be, you know, competitive, I think I think he'll buy out. I, I think, I go, think that what's what's an interesting thing i think that would be interesting to ask him at some point if someone wants to if they have a long sit down interview would be how this whole thing has changed his perspective on retirement because he's not retired and obviously it's a little bit different because you're still trying to get back you're trying to fix the whatever but he's now had two moments in his career when he's been sat at home wondering if he's going to be able to keep doing what he's been doing what kind of window does that open for you in terms of looking at what life would be like if you weren't a rider? Uh, is it a positive, like a relief that it's not like kind of this emptiness that you didn't know what to do after the sport? Is it like a negative, like, no, 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 now I want to stay as long as humanly possible. Um, Cause I think it's interesting, especially with people like Marquez and Rossi, um, like who's like the entire environment, and everything around them has been that world. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's always interesting me to see what happens after retirement because it is such a change of pace, isn't it? 
Yes. Um, and I think you could predict that Casey Stoner was going to be happier now than he was before. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could predict that Danny Pedrosa was going to largely disappear to just live his nice life ride some bikes and occasionally post on Instagram, but never really let us know what he's doing. Um, I think you could predict that Jorge Lorenzo would be like, look at my breakfast in Bali, isn't it cool? Um, like a or, his lot Lamborghini, things, or his Lamborghini. Yeah, like these things, like it's great to like see that and see like the new opportunities that people can take on as well. Um, but I think, I don't know, like I do wonder what it's like having had those moments and seen like a little bit into the reality of not riding every weekend, not riding every day, uh, whether it's changed his mind to want to ride longer, or maybe now he's got like a singular purpose of wanting this achievement, this whatever, and then feels more zen about it. But I, I have no idea, but it would be an interesting one to talk about. I'm not going to ruin it for you. They do kind of talk about that in this, in the docuseries. And I don't know if you, I'm sure you saw what uh, Ducati just said. I came out today. I, they were like, hey, you know, uh, earlier we would have probably hit up Marquez, but now we got all these young guys coming up and he's basically he's too old. So we're not going to, and I don't buy that for one minute. I don't buy that for one minute. I think, I really think if Marquez is like, hey, listen, I want to come over, I think they find a space for him. I mean, I'm not going to, I don't want to shit on anybody. I think they're all great riders, but. I still. Think I saw that quote a couple of times on the internet, but I'd be interesting to interested to see like where it came from, because I find it really unlikely that Paolo Giovatti simply got up today and was like, "I'm going to make a random statement about Mark Marquez." <laughs> yeah. So it was obviously within a, a, within a context. I've not seen it enough because, as you know, I was flying back to Spain today, so I just like saw a couple of things of it, but I didn't yeah. dig any deeper. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so. I don't know. Like, it's an interesting one. I think all of that is so interesting with like rider contracts and to see what happens next time we have like the grand shuffle. Um, and Brad Binder as well is another interesting one because he signed like the longest deal of all time ever. Yes. Uh, it wasn't actually that extreme, but it was quite a long one. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting, but I don't know. I think, I think as well though, with a lot of these things, it's like sometimes the statements are taken like, like there couldn't possibly be not an ulterior motive, but like the people saying things have not thought through the impact of what they're saying in any way. They know. And it's like everything that everyone says, like yes. has like, like it's really, really successful, intelligent people yes. that inhabit this world. They know. Like there's always like this little level of chess and stuff. So it's always interesting to watch how these things play out and, and yeah, and see what happens. I would honestly, the dream would, I would like to, I mean, just for shits and giggles, I'd like to see he, he and he and Alex both on a Ducati and just have them just run through shit next, I mean, in two years. I think that would be great. He and Alex on the same team on Ducati and just wreck shit. That would be the greatest. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not going to happen, but still, I would just love that. Maybe have Alex come out as the, as the feeler and have him come out and go, hey, man, this is a really good team. Really good bike. I think you'd excel on it. And the and the Honda's not what Mark wants. And he just comes in and they just just run just havoc on the whole field. I would love that. The, the thing is as well, when you're in such a strong position like Mark is, obviously in terms of track record, but also in terms of like everything. Mm-hmm. Like he, he could go home tomorrow and he doesn't have to work again. He doesn't have to worry about anyone around him. Like he's like made basically yeah and um, if he wanted to walk he could walk so he's literally in a position to just rock up and be like i'll ride that <laughs> for free yeah 
Um, and obviously that's not likely. Um, and it wouldn't really be sensible either because he of all people will know his value. Yeah. But it's just a funny situation. It's always fun to look at there's so many different considerations in all of these moves and like what everyone's saying about everyone else. Um, and it's just always fascinating to see then eventually how the jigsaw puzzle does come together. Yes. Um, like I'm pleasantly surprised that Alex Marquez is now on a Ducati uh, because I think that shows a really high level of respect for the integrity of everyone involved that they've not seen it like hiring part of an enemy camp. Um, I think <laughs> yeah. that's really, really positive. I mean, it's also exciting for us to see um, what he'd be able to do on that. But um, I think just as a general thing, like it's quite a, it's quite a nice move. Um, but yeah, big shoes to fill from one of the smallest riders as uh, Bastianini leaves Grassini. So uh, no pressure, but yeah, it should be a good one. I think this whole, I can't wait for this whole season to start. I think it's just, I think it's going to be the best season ever. I can't wait. I mean, I'm going to be slapping myself like this every night because you guys will realize <laughs> we're in America. And if you're a dork like me, I, I, I watch FP1 for Moto3. And I'm literally doing this to stay awake. <laughs> and so, yeah, so then I got to wake up and then, you know, go do my life and then come back and then watch FP2. So you have no idea how lucky you have, but I cannot wait for well, this season. Well, on, on Saturdays now, especially, you've got a lot to watch because you're also one of those who watches Moto E. Yes. So now you have both Moto E races on Saturday. And the sprint in the middle of them, uh, and qualifying for Moto Two, Moto Three, and Moto GP qualifying in the morning. Now, on paper, I'm so excited about this, <laughs> but then also in terms of the reality of like all the stuff I've got to get done, yes. I'm also like, oh my god, I'm gonna have to just wake up and just be so on it. Yeah, there is no room for any lazy Saturdays or any like, oh, I just have a bit of a headache today. <laughs> It's like, just like, drink a Red Bull, take some ibuprofen, let's go. And get your coffee. Uh, I know how much you love your coffee. Get your coffee. I do. I am a coffee obsessive. I know you but are. But then, I've also learned recently in the past few months, so it's actually really good for you. And the old myths of coffee are dead. So it's great. As long as you don't drink so much caffeine that you can't sleep. Yeah, um, there's like polyphenols and all sorts of good stuff in there. Fiber. Like, I'm like, yes, hell yes. I'm going to keep drinking insane amounts of coffee. Yeah, but and you, now I feel you, like a health freak. You were going to do it anyway. So, I, don't, I mean, even the... Yeah, even, but now I can <laughs> feel good about it. <laughs> Brand. <laughs> God damn it. I love having you on. Honestly, I always thought you were always intimidating to me. So it was hard to like talk. But why? Why? Like you said in the opener that I didn't go back to that I intended to, but I didn't want to rewind us like 10 minutes in. Why did you think I didn't like you? I, this is worrying. I, I don't know. I just I just felt an intimidation factor from you. And I, I mean, it never was cold. Anything you did, maybe it was I was in my head, but I always felt like, ah, and so then we find, <laughs> and we finally start, start finally start talking. I was like, okay, but I always felt that like, oh, I don't think she, I don't think she likes me. And and now that we're talking, God, I'd love it was, it, and it was still that way. I just want to hit you up. I was like, I'm gonna ask her, I'm gonna ask her, and uh, and then so I, I was like, here I go, and I text you. I, and you understand, I was so like nervous to text you to do this. I really was. Why? I oh my gosh. I don't know why. I'm worried about this because I've had this from a couple of other people, and then I'm like, oh no. Like what? Because like you have to understand, like I said, I'm work mode or not work mode. Right. So a lot of the time when I'm walking around, I'm still like, I'm not just like, oh, I'll go and get lunch. And then my brain's turned off and then I'm like, what am I going to have for lunch? Oh, hello. Like, how are you? I'm still like, 
okay, when I get back from lunch, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it in this order. Am I going to change the order though? Because would it be more efficient to do this first? Should I actually start that? And then I can set that process going and then I can come back to that. And I'm like still going in my head. So then, I, but the public facing reality of that is I'm just walking around like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh no. So I'll try and, I'll try and bring a little more, uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. It's that like oh, and I always felt like oh, you know, I was like oh, don't don't make her mad. It's also like if you see me walking with my computer, then it's definitely like be intimidated and stay away. (laughs) But if I if I don't have the computer, please never, always, always assume that I'm simply in my own head trying to figure out what shit I'm going to do and in what order. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I appreciate your time, friend. I really do. We got to do a part two because I want to talk to you more about music and David Bowie. I wanted to get that. Never got to it on this one but we'll do it next time you promise me a part two i i promise a part two yes and i would love to talk about david bowie all day every day i can talk to you about motor gp david bowie at the center and the bbc america show killing eve for as long as you want <laughs> they're like my pillars of life <laughs> literally just those four things i'm happy <laughs> we will do that we will do that next time you Perfect. have no idea how happy you made me i swear you have no idea how happy i met you made me thank you so much for your time you are great at what you do and i mean it from the bottom of my heart we didn't have to go into the women in motorsports because i i know you've covered it before and you are just excellent at your job i love hearing no, you no i appreciate that because you've asked a woman in motorsport to talk about motorsport and you've not brought up that I'm a woman in motorsport, and that has its own value because I'm just here talking to you as myself. It's just t- so t- it's just two geeks together. A pro there. It's, it's two motorsport geeks, well. and, and that's how I look at it. Two motorsport geeks talking about because you understand I have nobody in my life that I can go MotoGP. And, I feel you. So that's why I could talk to you forever. But I feel like you probably also have a little bit of this. Like if everyone constantly wanted to talk to you, like how is it being an African American fan of motorsport? You'd be like. <laughs> A certain level of that is like really nice to like get to talk about it and be positive and like inspire and like try and make stuff more positive. And then after a certain point, it's like, I'm not actually a human demographic. I'm just like a human geek who enjoys this thing. Can we talk about the thing? (laughs) So, you know, there's two sides there. Exactly. You don't want to be mean, but it's like, yeah, exactly. You know, so, yeah. I mean, that's that's a whole other con- that's a whole other conversation. But man, that is a, a much longer conversation. Part yeah. seven, eight, nine, seventy-four. <laughs> I <laughs> yeah, hope so. Where are we? Where are we seeing you this year? Um, I'll ask you a question before we sign off. Uh, I will see you at, at Coda. I wanted to go to uh, wanted to go. I wanted to go to the uh, opener in Portimao, but man, I wouldn't make it home in time to make my ship. I'm going to do a cruise ship, and I was going to try to do a one way like after the race, and but I'm not going <laughs> to make it in time, and I don't want to lose my job. So unfortunately, yeah. So yeah, I appreciate that. Sometimes you've got to put that first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, cool. It's, then Coda. We'll see you at Coda. See you at Coda. To it a lot. I'm going to make sure every single rider is like, hey, BT. (laughs) (laughs) Just keep that geek love going. You will see me blushing. I swear to God, if you did that, you would see I, me. I look forward to it a lot. <laughs> she's Fran Wild with the she's half of the last last on the breaks podcast, MotoGP. Thank you so much, Fran. I appreciate you. Watch her for MotoGP coming up in less than a month. I'm so excited. Thank you so much for watching. I'm BT with Tales from a Gemini. And you know how we end this. You know the word. Peace.